Welcome, I'm Lisa Connell, Executive Director of Sherm's Executive Network, HR People and Strategy, the premier network of executives and thought leaders in the field of human resources. We advance the HR profession by engaging thought leaders and executive practitioners to create solutions and drive success for people and organizations. Today, I'm excited to have a conversation with Aaron Hurst, CEO and co-founder of Imperative, a leadership development platform that uses the power of peers to support one another as they manage remote employees and accelerated change in the workplace. Widely known for his thought leadership, Aaron is the author of The Purpose Economy and a regular advisor and thought partner for many global brands. Aaron, thank you for joining me. Oh, it's great to, great to be with you, Lisa. So um, I know you've been writing about the impact of the global crises on the workplace and specifically about employee burnout. And so wanted to get into some of that today. Um, according to Harvard Business Review, the psychological and physical challenges of employee burnout cost an estimated 125 to 190 billion dollars a year in healthcare spending in the US alone. So we know the events of the last six months have certainly had a tremendous impact on the workforce. And we're hearing a lot from our members that mental health is top of mind for their organization. So why don't we start there? What are you hearing from leaders about mental health and employee burnout? Absolutely. I'm happy to share. And I think it's, first of all, just, I mean, it's sad for the reasons, the reason why we're talking about this, but it is really wonderful just to hear companies talking about mental health. Cause I don't think that was something a couple of years ago that um, most companies wanted to talk about and it is so important. So I like to sort of see the silver lining in this, which is we are having conversations that are long overdue. What we're seeing, if you sort of take a little bit of a step back, we saw like when we first had the pandemic hit, um, there was this huge spike in productivity. Uh, we saw, I think there was a study showed people working an average of three hours more per day, which is like remarkable additional amount of time. Um, we saw that people were coming together um, with a shared experience. Like we were all going through this together and there's very few things where we just have that sort of synchronized experience that everyone's having together. Um, we had a sense of purpose in that we were all sort of trying to make sure the company could continue helping support ourselves, helping to support our teams. There was a sort of spike in purpose. And there was also just this novelty. Whenever you do something for the first time, you get a lot of energy out of doing that. And I'm, I'm sure you can relate to that, Lisa, just in our own, you know, your own life. What we started to see, though, after a couple months was that this spike in productivity um, started to quickly sort of turn in to a major dip, not only in productivity, but also in burnout, because you can't sustain those things without intervention. Like that shared experience and the novelty of it goes away. Those extra three hours a day of work and like what that was uh, doing to people's sort of overall lives, the stress and ongoing fear tied to um, all the uncertainty in our companies and in the world starts to sort of eat at people. And what we've seen recently is about 50% of the workforce is burnt out. You know, it's much higher when you're talking about, you know, people who are first responders, et cetera. But just even just in the sort of office worker, you're seeing this 50% burnout rate. And what I'm hearing anecdotally from CEOs and executives is, you know, as much as a 20% drop in productivity, um, which is pretty massive when you think about it. So uh, I think it went from this like, oh, my God, we're getting all this great new productivity and the future is working from home and we'll get so much more done to, oh, we actually can't just sort of let this go on without addressing the mental health component of this and the challenges people are having, especially with social isolation and what that's doing to people. So to that point, how can businesses help their employees counteract that burnout without giving up at least too much on the productivity side? 
Yeah, and I think that's the challenge. Like it starts with this myth might be a little overstated, Lisa, but when we tend to think about burnout, we think about it being about how much we work uh, and that people working more get burnt out. And therefore, like what is a solution intuitively, Lisa, would be let's give them more time off. We need to have more vacation. Um, the answer becomes do the opposite, which is if people are working too much, let's have them work less. And that is important to care for a lot of parts of our mental health, but that Burnout itself is actually not really about working too much. It has more to do with sustained stress and anxiety. And when we're operating in the sustained stress and anxiety, that's what actually creates that sense of burnout and it puts us into a fight or flight mode. Um, and when you're in that mode too long, like it just literally prevents your uh, mind, your body from being able to process what's going on. You start to shut down. And that's really what we have to combat. It's not the working too much. That's just sort of a ancillary part of it. So what companies need to do is, and part of the reason why they should worry about productivity, so they think it means, oh, people are burnt out. We got to get everybody time off. And yes, do that. But that's not really the real issue. The real issue is how do you help people process and manage their stress and anxiety? We all have it. And I think the, the question is, how do you enable someone to still have that, because that's real, but how do you help them process that so when they come back the next day, um, they're able to be a little bit sort of starting fresh. They're able to have processed and reflected and normalized that experience. So it's not accumulating, but they're actually letting that off, um, letting off that steam, if you will, letting off that stress on a daily basis. So to further counteract that, I know there's been a lot of talk about resilience lately, both in personal and professional contexts. So as workers find themselves struggling, how can organizations help them build that resilience muscle? Yeah, there's just two things that the research shows that are really critical around resilience. Um, the first one is a sense of purpose, um, which I'd also say is tied to a sense of hope or a sense of vision. If you don't have a vision for what tomorrow looks like, if you don't have a vision for where you're going, um, every effort feels so much harder. And when we actually see that people have a sense of you know, what their purpose is, a sense of where they're going, uh, they have much more resilience because they have somewhere they want to go and that helps them push through. So the first thing is really just helping people build that self-awareness, building that sense of hope, helping them envision tomorrow, helping them envision a month from now, a year from now, help them find motivation for their work. And that creates that resilience. The second thing the research shows is that social relationships, social connections that are meaningful act as a buffer for stress and anxiety. It helps us actually develop the mental capacity to have those things bounce off us a lot faster and a lot easier. And I'd say secondarily with that, and I'm sure you've experienced this, Lisa, when you have a hard day and you're able to go and talk to a coworker and actually process what happened to you in that experience, often you're able to put that behind you. Um, you're able to like basically let it evaporate Whereas if you don't have that social interaction, your resilience goes way down because you carry that with you into the next day. So in addition to helping people develop more self-awareness around you know, their purpose, where they're going, some sense of motivation and vision, it's really giving people the social support they need to regularly process what's going on with them and not letting it fester. Okay. So really building that sense of hope and also a social connection. So on the social connection part, is there a way to build that in um, in the workplace? Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. The technology to date has been very much around transactional interactions. It's been about communicating status, information. Um, it's about efficiency. The kind of interaction that's needed to address this resilience, to address burnout, is much more in the social-emotional side. And to date, there really hasn't been an effective way to address that. In person, a lot of that happens casually. But what we really need to look at now is how do we scale creating meaningful, psychologically-driven 
conversations where people are able to be vulnerable. And, you know, there's different ways of doing that. I mean, we at Imperative are working and building, you know, the platform to help do that at scale from a technology standpoint. But I would tell you sort of more broadly, it's creating space and giving people the prompts to be able to really talk about what's going on with them and to help them also develop that vision, that motivation for what's next. I've heard you talk about peer coaching and the value of that in the past. And I just, I wanted to get into that a little bit. If you could talk about the value of peer coaching, but then also distinguish the difference between peer coaching and mentor programs. Absolutely. So peer coaching is basically a way to talk about uh, relationships or conversations between two people who are peers, who are basically processing their thinking, their feelings, their decisions with each other. Um, as a way to help improve uh, the quality of their thinking, enable them to work through that stress and anxiety, and to be able to sort of move forward uh, effectively. So it's a process a lot of people do casually, but has gone down since we've started working remotely. Um, but peer coaching really is that simple. It's you know the conversations where we process our thinking, process our feelings, help think about our decisions. So that's very different than mentoring. So mentoring relationship tends to be that you have an expert and then you have someone who wants to learn that expertise. It's a, it's a knowledge transfer process, whereas peer coaching at its core is really about a reflective process, and it's about providing social and emotional support between people going through similar experiences. Okay, so then how would you see that really helping managers now in what we're going through uh, more than ever? Being a manager right now is, I mean, it's always been hard. Right now, it's ridiculously difficult, um, especially for people who are early in their experience as managers. Being able to not only manage the challenges of like needing to hit deadlines, needing to make sure work's getting done, but you suddenly have this responsibility for the social emotional health of your team. So there's two sort of core areas where this is, I think, really powerful peer coaching. So one is just manager to manager, to be able to have someone who's also going through those challenges to talk through what's going on with you, what are the challenges you're seeing, um, helping you realize that the challenges are normal, um, helping think through uh, specific challenges that may have come up that week um, with your team or with yourself, just having that partner to do that with, who's not your boss and is not HR, but is actually someone who's able to truly empathize because they're going through similar things and helping you process that. I think the second is, as a manager, it's really easy to get triggered. It's really easy to uh, project your own needs onto others and to then bring that to your team. And one of the things that really needs to happen is for managers to get enough space and enough reflection for them to be present with their team, to be thoughtful with their team, and not just be triggered or operating out of fear, stress, and anxiety. So for peer coaching to be effective, what you're seeing is you're seeing it used by managers to actually process all that, get it out of their system so that they can be present with their team. And in the process of doing this kind of coaching, Lisa, what you're seeing is people are starting to actually learn how to operate as coaches instead of consultants. Traditionally, managers have operated more as consultants. You bring me my, your problem as a member of the team and I'll solve it for you. Versus a coach, which is you bring me you know, your challenge and I'll ask you questions and help you solve your own problem. And as managers are practicing peer coaching with each other, they're starting to make that shift to realize their job is not to be a consultant, their job is to be a coach and to bring that to their teams. Yes, I love that distinction because I think that is so important for managers to learn how to really coach their teams to enable them versus here's the answer and just give them consulting expertise to your point. So I think that's really a, a critical point for future 
managers. And it's also, I mean, I can speak to this personally, like I think a affliction, especially of men like myself, um, of just sort of being raised in an expectation of the consulting model and having to like prove your value by solving people's problems instead of listening and helping them solve problems. And I think this is part of the shift overall in the workforce as we become more emotionally intelligent um, is realizing it's sort of that, that old model doesn't work most of the time. So shifting gears a little bit, um, as a globally recognized authority on social innovation, what are some examples of recent social change um, that you've seen that, that have surprised you? It's interesting. So surprised, I think I've just been delighted by seeing how companies are responding to the Black Lives Matter movement um, and seeing, I was talking to someone um, recently and they were sharing how like talking about unconscious bias just seems like table stakes now, whereas I think a year ago it was still trying to like convince executives <laughs> to have those conversations. And the amount of courageous like conversations people are talking about in their company, it's like, I feel like I'm watching a movie just because it feels like such a departure from where we were six months ago and the willingness for companies to like put it all out there and heard a really inspiring story recently um, about the CEO of a large professional services firm who just even went so far as to say like, if you don't believe in this stuff, you might want to think about um, whether this is the right place for you to continue to work. That kind of uh, resolve, that sort of clarity of values and purpose is just so inspiring to finally see uh, organizations really taking that, that step. Also seeing some early sort of social innovation around how different companies are sort of thinking about how to help people right now, whether it's Black Lives Matter and trying to really rethink you know, their business, rethinking how it is that their company got there, rethinking how they uh, you know, think about their role in society, but also with the pandemic and companies really looking for innovative ways to rethink the workplace, rethink the role of work in people's lives, starting to really build innovative programs around how do they support the full health of their employees and acknowledging that their employees actually have, you know, families and lives and mental health and everything else that makes us human. All those things to me are just, well, no one would have wished for any of this to happen. It's just been such an accelerant of these conversations and it's creating the uh, opportunity for executives to not have to have things sit in committee for three years and build buy-in, but to be able to act boldly. And I hope you're seeing that as well. I just find it really, really encouraging. Yes, absolutely. I, I think, you know, before the pandemic, there were so many things that were impacting the future of work. Like you could see it kind of in a slow-mo sort of fashion. And now with the pandemic, all of a sudden, everything is like fast forward and things, you know, you're just being forced to make things happen. But to your point, really acknowledging the full human and not just, you know, who they are for work, but the whole person has become front and center. And so, you know, I, I think that's really important. And and again, to your point earlier, a silver lining in this whole thing. Quickly building out, the one thing I would say, though, that I would love to see more action on is there's so many people who are out of work right now and so many people losing their jobs. And I think it's great to see the progress on Black Lives Matter and on mental health. I think we have to really examine as CEOs, as executives, and as a society, sort of how are we supporting all those people who are out of work, um, whether it's temporarily or for a longer period of time, and how are we really thinking about upskilling those folks to help them reintegrate, but also addressing the mental health impact of people being out of work, both on themselves and their families, but also on the people who are, remain at the company and what that does in terms of increasing you know, stress and anxiety and you know, really caring about, you know, people they've worked with for a long time who are in a really tough spot. 
So are there specific things that you're seeing from business leaders in addressing either, you know, the humanity or taking it specifically to those out of work? I haven't seen a whole lot. I've seen some conversation around it. I haven't seen a whole lot of action. I have been uh, delighted to see some companies, it seems like, are not just taking that knee-jerk reaction and just doing layoffs as aggressively as I think they may have in the past. And there's a little bit more of like, let's just see if we can weather this for a little while. And I think the government's done you know, a good job in some of the messaging around you know, focusing on what can we do to help you uh, maintain you know, staffing um, levels so that you know, we can quickly snap back. So I think it's been a little bit better than I would have expected on that front. Um, but I don't think there's been enough in terms of like really building sort of outplacement investments and the training that's needed um, overall. I mean, there's probably exceptions to that, but I'd like to see more. So um, with so many organizations going to a full remote uh, workforce, they're discovering that technology has its limitations. And I know you've written about how this situation has also created new ways for employees to grow their skills. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Yeah, no, absolutely. So yeah, I mean, technology, I think to date has been very focused on, uh, again, like transactional work and seeing us as human resources instead of human beings. And I think a lot of the opportunity right now is, you know, acknowledging what CEOs have been talking about for a long time, which is we really need to invest in, they want to call them power skills, soft skills, uh, leadership skills, uh, the parts of, you know, work and how we show up that are about our intra and interpersonal skills and that this is really an opportunity to support each other in developing those skills and to also just rethink the HR tech stack um, and really go beyond sort of the current notion, which is all about processing data and information and workflows to actually thinking about where the intersection of EQ, psychological capacity, um, social emotional health, what's actually needed for us as human beings to be able to show up fully. So as an entrepreneur, this is a really, I think, exciting opportunity where we're just going to see an explosion of innovation around how do we actually humanize work for real, um, not just by adding happy hours. Um, and to that point, you've coined the term purpose leader as having the confidence and courage to be bold, motivating through hope and not fear. So what advice would you give to leaders in navigating through these times? No, I think there's such a distinction between that purpose you know, purpose-driven leader, that purpose-led leader, and sort of a traditional leader. You can lead by scaring people. You can lead through scarcity. Um, you can lead through sort of intense competition. I think that type of leadership right now is exactly what's not needed in this country and what's not needed in our organizations. We need purpose-driven leaders. We need leaders for whom they are articulating a path forward for their team that gets them excited and helps them push through. We need leaders who see and help activate the purpose in each individual on their team so that they personally feel that sense of ownership and able to move forward. And that you're able to create that sense of hope because hope is really one of the greatest fuels of productivity, engagement, fulfillment. And the primary sort of role of a leader when it comes to purpose is to create that sense of hope and then to help people sort of move towards that. Um, and that's such a difference um, of like encouraging people to climb a ladder that rather than putting alligators to the bottom and saying, if you fall, you're going to get eaten. And I think that's sort of the distinction I'm seeing between different types of leaders right now. Yes, I love that analogy, but, but so true and such a more positive approach of motivating through hope. As these uncertain times continue, I think a lot of people are looking for inspiration and 
energy, they're falling low on that. So is there any guidance that you would provide on how leaders can give that inspiration and really re-energize their teams? So I think one of the biggest lessons out of the Black Lives Matter movement and just sort of looking at race and class in our country and in society really is around sharing power. And I think as leaders, the opportunity to inspire is really around sharing power and asking people to truly contribute to the vision of your team and of your organization and saying, look, we're in an opportunity right now. We're in a position where there's a lot of pain. There's a lot of need in the world. We are in a position where we have resources, we have assets, um, we have brand. Um, help them co-create sort of that next that next chapter for your organization and have them engage in divergent thinking. Have them start with the assumption that five years from now, we look back on it and we were a major part of why so many people were able to you know, thrive coming out of this pandemic. How was it that we did that? How did we better help our employees? How did we better help our customers? How do we serve new markets? How do we change the conversation in society? And then do a work back and say, okay, so how did we do that? Give that power to your people to have that conversation. Don't just have it be top down. And that's not only going to help build hope and resilience. It's also just going to help break down, I think, a lot of the challenges we have around race and class, et cetera, um, in our system when we're truly sharing some of that power. Yeah, that makes sense. It's really a systemic issue across many things. So really breaking, breaking that down. I like that. So considering everything, you know, what's currently going on, what's gone on in the past, what are your predictions for the future? Like, what will the future of work look like for business leaders? It is, uh, there's so much change. I feel like every day, like you see new headlines. I think there's some major macro trends that I'm really paying attention to. I think one is, you know, the obvious piece, which is just how long is this going to last in terms of there being this sort of intense pandemic environment. And, you know, unfortunately, right now, the answer is not looking like months. It's looking more like years, just given, you know, what we're seeing, unfortunately. I think the second piece that's, you know, really striking me is just the question about like which countries and which societies are going to emerge stronger out of this and which ones um, are going to actually take a major step backwards and what are we doing about that because that's going to really influence work in terms of like where the the sort of center of the economy is geographically in the world and i think that's an area that we really need ceos to step up and make sure frankly that the u.s um, remains relevant coming out of this period of time. And then I think there's the more tactical side. I mean, working from home is what is going to be the reality for a lot of people. And the uh, need to focus on social emotional health, the the need to really look at much more of an integrated society where work is less distinguishable from home. And there's, you know, fun changes that are happening now. Like a, a friend of mine said, a, a colleague of theirs has now created a whole business around building sort of offices in people's backyards. Because <laughs> people are realizing... People need a space to work and that the bedrooms are not cutting it for a lot of people. I just share that as like a small example of some of the you know economic opportunities that are out there for people who are creative and think about you know, where work really is going. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, so before we close, any other thoughts that you'd like to share? No, I would just encourage everybody to, you know, be courageous. Remember that hope is the thing people need right now. People need that social connection and that 
it's not about happy hours. Like we really need to help people have like deep, meaningful conversations at least once a week if we're going to help address this need. And that there is so much opportunity right now to make a difference in the world and to really see that as opportunity and not just as challenge. And I think if we all do that, this is going to be a period of time where we look back on and just have a tremendous amount of pride about um, how we stepped up as individuals, teams, companies, and as a society. Yeah, I love that. Absolutely agree. Well, Aaron, as always, it's been a pleasure talking with you. And thank you so much for sharing your expertise with us. I love your community and being part of it. So thank you for including me. Absolutely. And for more information on the topics that we've discussed today or further details on HRPS, please visit hrps.org.